right. Well, good morning and welcome to the Financial Confidence Podcast. My name is Joshua Mock. If you're here, we help you learn how to make more money, save more money, multiply your money, do something big uh, financially. So really excited to be on this episode because we're talking asset allocation. One of my favorite topics is in this role of, all right, now I got some money. Okay, now I've got some money. I'm saving some money. Now what do I do, right? How do, how do I increase my long-term returns while decreasing my risk? What does that look like? That kind of thing. So really excited about this um, particular episode. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, goodness. Uh, so you got to love the sneeze button. Um, so, uh, but everybody hears that silence. So uh, asset allocation, let's talk about it. So asset allocation involves dividing your investments among different assets, such as like stocks, bonds, cash. Uh, the, so the asset allocation decision is a personal one, okay? So it how you, your asset allocation done is very personal um, because it's going to depend on somebody's risk tolerance, okay? So the allocation that, that works best for you, you changes though at different times in your life. So you're going to have like windows where these things are going to change. Okay. So at different times in your life, you're going to shift your asset allocation depending on how long you have to invest first off and your ability to tolerate risk. All right. So as we get into this, if you're unfamiliar with me, uh, my name is Joshua Mock. You can see me right here if you're on uh, if you're on the podcast and you see the spelling of my name. You can go to my website, joshuamock.com. Pretty easy to find. Uh, so joshuamock.com, that'll pop you right up. You can see at the top that you can follow me on Instagram. Um, and if you go to Instagram, you can actually click on my little link there and take my number one financial retirement quiz mistakes quiz. So you can go take that little quiz. Uh, we have a bunch of other links and videos and all kinds of stuff uh, for you. So reach out to me. We'd love to hear from you and get to know you. So so getting into this this asset allocation idea. So when you're creating an asset allocation model, you got to look at some different variables. Okay. So we're going to look at time horizon, number one. Like if you're 30, your time horizon is very different than somebody 60 wanting to retire at 65. Okay. Time horizon is huge. Risk is the next one. Then diversification, investment choices, and rebalancing. Okay. So these kind of like the core five things that we want to create when we're or look at when we're building this asset allocation model. Okay. So, so I think everything starts at time horizon though, because time horizon is going to affect the risk, the diversification, the investment choices, and the rebalancing. Okay, there's not a whole lot of rebalancing to do if an investment's only going to be in something for six months, right? So it needs time. So um, basically, let me kind of get into it here. Today we're going to get into the weeds. It's going to get nerdy, right? I use that as an endearing term, okay? Uh, yesterday, uh, I had one of the funniest things happened to me last night that I can only say on the podcast because the world is on fire and upside down in a ditch. It feels like anymore with how upset everybody gets about what something somebody says, right? So, um, well, I am not easily offended. Uh, so last night I was on an appointment with a, a great, um, couple that have been with me, uh, the wife and her investments about a year and a half, uh, or a little more than that, um, probably two years. And her husband just started um, moving. He moved some money with me in April of 2020, last year. Okay, and uh, so great black couple. 
uh, husband, wife, uh, got a great jobs, that kind of thing. And uh, I became their investment specialist. Okay. You're kind of their consultant here. So started working with them. We did a, did a review here yesterday and we're sitting down and I told the guy how much money he made in his account. And he was so elated. I mean, he, he, he got, it's like he, he let himself loose, right? Let the guard down a little bit. And he said, uh, he said, nobody, uh, let me, let me phrase this, uh, wisely. He says, no N word. <laughs> he called me that, uh, has ever made me any money like that before. And I, I think you can take that a few different ways, but to me, he said it in an endearing way. He didn't even mean he realized he slipped and he apologized, but I was dying. You know, I, I, I thought it was fantastic because he was like, he was express. And then he explained, he's like, look, nobody's ever made me money like this. You know, like n- nobody's ever shown me that money can work for me, you know, and, in in you know, shorter terms to what he said, you know, but he was, he was so excited, you know, and it's like, if you get offended by that kind of stuff, your skin's too soft, you know, and you're probably not going to make it through this world, uh, very comfortably and not having much fun. So, uh, anyways, I, I had an absolute scream with this couple. I love these guys. And, uh, so anyways, uh, I, I think that, that's important. You know, it's relationship, right? We have such a good relationship that, you know, he felt comfortable to kind of say that. Right. And, um, and, and, and anyways, he's done very well. He's very happy clearly. Um, but I also think that, you know, when we're talking about finance, you know, when we're talking about really anything anymore, somebody's going to say some crap you don't like. Well, guess what? Sometimes when your parents tell you something you don't like when you're a kid, cause you need to be told something you don't want to hear. Right. And if somebody tells you a financial professional tells you, look, you spend too much money, eat out too much. You know, it's just like a fitness instructor. My friend's a fitness instructor. And I'm like, dude, if somebody's fat, you need to tell them they're fat. Like, you know, what I mean, it's like, uh, you know, I was telling him that when I got started, I was, he's like, yeah, you're a little, you know, like you need to lose some weight. I'm like, no, dude, tell me I'm fat. I got to hear it. Otherwise, I can't move away from it. Right. It's like I, I got to be I got to know where I'm really at. Right. And a financial professional needs to really tell somebody, look, look, you can't just say you're, yeah, you know, you're going to retire. It's like, no, you're not on track. It, it, we can do a lot, but I'm not a magician. You know, I love to tell people that like, I'm, I'm not Merlin, you know, I don't got some big pointy hat. Like you right now are on track to retire at 75 with what you're putting away, but you're not going to retire at 65. And here's the plan. Here's the strategy, the action steps in order to get there. So they, of course you have to have an answer to it, just like my fitness instructor did uh, for me. So, so let's look at the kind of the spectrum of mutual funds. Okay. And we're going to a spectrum of mutual fund risk that we're going to talk about. So at the very top, you have aggressive growth. Okay. Then you have international growth. So we're going to start at like the riskiest here and kind of move down. Okay. So aggressive growth international growth, and these can slightly, those two can slightly move between each other sometimes. Uh, Growth, then growth and income. Then you have balanced funds. Then you have a high yield bond, corporate bonds, municipal bonds, government bonds, and money markets. So let's let's break this down a little bit. Aggressive growth. This one kind of pretty (laughs) self-explanatory. It's like aggressive growth. These are companies that are aggressively growing. Um, a company that'd be aggressive growth over the last 20 years would be Amazon, right? They were posting no profits 
to pay no taxes because they were taking every dollar they made and putting it right back into the company, not keeping pretty much any money on cash. They're just growing that thing, right? Uh, now, if it goes well, your money goes bananas, right? If it doesn't, that's the risk of aggressive growth, right? Then we have international growth. So that's a lower tier, but it's inter- so it's just like American growth funds, but international growth, okay? So these are companies that are growing, but they're not taking the same kind of like money off their balance sheet, all these kind of things that an aggressive growth company would be doing, but they're in the growth stage. So a growth fund now is like Amazon still sits in that, in that stage, but not really as aggressive uh, because they're so gargantuan at this point, okay? Then we've got growth in income. Well, that makes sense. I'm growing my, my money, but then also investments that pay income. So when you hear growth in income, associate that with stocks that usually are going to pay dividends. So you start to associate that with a uh, you know, Procter & Gamble, a, a Coca-Cola, Walmart, you know, these companies, Johnson Johnson, they've been around a really long time. They tend to pay a dividend that's really solid. And that's going to create income inside of the portfolio. Then you have balanced. Balanced are stocks and bonds into one into one mutual fund. So then you'll have this blend, okay? So now the balanced is like kind of the midpoint here in this seesaw. If we think of that, or teeter-totter, if you think about that in the middle, the balanced is in the center. It's balanced, right? And then to the left, you got all the stocks. To the right, you got all the bonds, right? So then we got high-yield bonds. Some people call them junk bonds, Um so those would be companies that don't have real high credit ratings. And because of that, uh, their interest rate they pay is higher. So debt, or I'm sorry, bonds are debt. This is how I understand it the best, okay? S- simply put, when people go, what are bonds? I'm like, bonds are, you know, somebody owes somebody some money, right? So it's debt. And a junk bond or a high-yield bond is like the the corporation has a credit score, just like if you and I have a credit score, as we all do. So I'm like, all right, if I want to borrow some money and I got an 850 credit score, I'm not going to be like junk. I'm going to be more like a corporate bond. But a high yield could be like, if I got a credit score of 650, okay, 600. I've had a few challenges, but it's not bad. You know, I'm paying my bills, but I had some issues a few years back, right? Well, if I go to go borrow money for a car and I got a credit score of 650, I'm going to pay a very different interest rate on the car loan than if I have an 850, right? So same thing goes here. The higher the credit rating is for the company, the lower the interest rate they have to pay, but also the safer the investment is, right? That's hence what the debt is, right? The the higher interest rate is to offset your risk, right? Or the, the borrower's risk or the lender if you're giving money to a debt. So I'm buying this bond. I'm loaning this company this money so they can use it. They're going to pay me an interest rate and that's what a bond is. So they say, we'll pay 6% annually. We're, uh, so we're going to pay you 6% interest to loan us this $1,000. Okay. So there's my 60 bucks. I'll make an interest this year for loaning them that money. Okay. If they've got a high credit score, maybe they only pay 4% interest. But if they got a real bad credit score, let's say they pay 7% interest, right? And it, those numbers aren't accurate to today or anything like that necessarily. I'm just making a point that 
that's going to change based on how they're doing. Okay. So then you come down to corporate bonds. That's it safer than municipals. The munis are municipalities. So you think about your neighborhood, right? Your cities, you know, that in the state in which you live in, right? So you have cities that are not doing so well in your state. Almost every state has those. And then you have your cities that are doing well, right? There uh, maybe some suburb that's just exploding right now because people have been moving out of the cities. So this suburb town, right, city is growing and they gotta, they've got to borrow some money to put in all these pipes for this new giant neighborhood that's going in with a thousand homes. A municipal bond is loaning money to a municipality and then they collect the money that's needed to pay back the debt with property taxes. Okay. So property taxes and or revenue. So like tolls, things like that. Okay. So taxes and revenue is how they collect those municipal bonds are uh, quite safe of an investment. Then we move down to government bonds. That's of course like us treasuries. Okay. And then money markets really are not safer than the government bonds necessarily, but they don't really make anything dependent upon what the government bonds are paying is what they determine what they pay. Okay. So, so what, what should you look at? All right. You're like, man, value or growth. Okay. What's the difference here? Well, you have value and we'll, we'll get into this. And then I'm going to talk about growth right after that. Okay. So what's a value stock or a value mutual fund? Okay. The basic concept behind everyday value investing is really straightforward. Okay. If you know the true value of something, you can save a lot of money when you buy it on sale. So, you know, most folks would like, you know, most people agree that whether you buy it, you know, a new TV on sale or at full price, you're getting the same TV with the same screen size and picture quality. It's just, did you get it at a deal or not? Okay. So value is stocks work in a similar manner. Okay. Meaning that the company's stock price can change every day. Right. So it can, when the company's value is uh, low or valuation has remained the same, stocks like TVs go through periods of higher and lower demand, leading to a price fluctuation. But that doesn't change what you're getting for your money. So you're still getting, let's say, when you buy a mutual fund and the share price is down right now and you're looking at a value based company um, and how they invest. They're looking for value. They're looking for deals. They're looking for TVs on sale. Okay. So that's where the focus is. We're looking for deals, strong companies, strong brands, right? That look like they're on sale. They're paying attention to price more in a value proposition. Okay. Then when we look at growth, okay, growth investing is stock buying strategy that looks for companies that are expected to grow at an above average rate compared to the industry or the broader total market, okay? So growth investors tend to favor smaller, younger companies who are like poised to expand, blow up, increase profitability, potential in the future. You know, it's like one of the most famous um, ones like Intel, you know, when Intel came out, you know, Intel would be a growth stock. You know, it's like they came out in the 80s, I think, when they went public And it's like, this is a growth thing, right? Everybody's getting personal computers. They use these Intel chips inside of them, right? Intel needs money and they're growing. They're smaller, they're younger, and they exploded, okay? So growth investors often look to like five key areas when evaluating stock, okay? So the historical and future earnings growth, profit margins, returns on equity, okay? Or what's called ROE, return on equity, and share price performance. Now, 
You can see I didn't hear you didn't hear me talk about things being on sale. I don't really care. The goal is like, look at the books. These guys are making money. They're growing. It looks like this industry has a lot of room for growth. They have large profit margins. We don't care if it's full price right now. It's going to be more expensive next week. You know, it's like if the price of the TVs, if the price of TVs were fluctuating based on uh, supply and demand, right? So they're like, no, this TV is going up. It's a thousand dollars today, but we think next week this, this TV is going to suffer 1200 bucks. Okay. Value's more focused on, um, yeah, it might go up to 1200, but we'll see next week. It might drop down to 950. We can get a deal, you know? So it's just that those fluctuate. Okay. So it's just a little bit of a kind of 30,000 foot view of value versus growth. And if you want to know more, of course, cause this, you know, today, you know, in the show, this isn't financial advice, right? It's not specific to you to, to take what I explained on something like this and go for it or something that Dave Ramsey says on the radio is, is moronic, right? I mean, that is dangerous. Okay. Uh, so you, you have to meet with a professional, right? To then look at your exact situation and determine what's best for you. Right. And I think that's where a lot of people get into trouble. You know, this is educational information. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily what is right for you. So, there I go. See, I used the word moron on a radio show, you know, on a podcast and somebody's probably offended, but you know, that's, that's the show, right? So it's like, I, I don't know many times in my life I've been a moron, you know, and then I got to admit to myself when I've been a moron. So I want to, I want to, uh, help people. And part of helping people is understand when we're doing things right and we're doing things wrong. Right. So uh, so mutual funds earn money basically three different ways. Okay. So number one through dividends. Okay. That's one way. Two is capital gains. Three is capital appreciation. That's actual like stock going up. Okay. So should any of those be earned, they may be subject to taxation. So if you, if you get any of those, they can get taxed. Okay. Unless you're inside of an IRA, which then would make the taxes come later and or if you're in a Roth IRA and you don't take money out too soon and a couple of different parameters there, then never, okay? So you can put off taxes to never if you're in the right types of accounts and that kind of thing, okay? So that's all subject, of course, to personal advice. If you make under the right amount of money and can't put in too much per year, and there's a lot of things like that, right? So so the, so the let's demonstrate kind of a buy and hold strategy and what this kind of looks like, okay? So uh, I got a chart here. I'll try to explain this. Um, so this is the average stock investor lagged behind the market. Okay. Over the long haul by nearly 1.8% per year. So the average person made 1.8% per year, less money than what the market actually made while the average bond investor lost virtually all of their positive returns trailing the bond market by an average of more than 4.6% per year. Okay, compound over time, the impact on portfolios can be almost catastrophic. So when we look at bonds, uh, the Bloom, Bloomberg says the U.S. aggregate, okay, when we look at that bond uh, indices, it averaged 5.03%. Okay, the average bondholder in the same period of time returned 0.47. So this is growth of a hypothetical 100 grand. So you got 100 grand in December of 1999 and you grow to December of 2019. 
the bonds grew from a hundred grand to two hundred and sixty six thousand eight hundred and sixty six bucks. But the average person grew from a hundred grand to a hundred and nine thousand eight hundred. They only made nine thousand eight hundred and thirty two dollars. Why is that? Well, we're going to get into this. Okay. Uh, then the stocks. Let's look at the stocks. That hundred grand in the S and P five hundred grew by an average of six point oh six in that period of time, and you grew to three hundred twenty four thousand. The average investor grew to only 220, uh, 229,000, 229 versus 324, right? Difference of um, 6.06 down to 4.25% return. Well, why is that? Well, people try to time the market. It just so happens that this great story. Last night, I was sitting with this couple, and uh, the couple I was talking about earlier, last year, the wife called me. I tried to tell her to stop not to do this. She insisted we sell her shares. Okay. We sold her shares. She wanted to go to a money market. She wanted to take her money out of the stocks because it was going down. I said, okay. After consulting, she just had to do it. I can't, I can't handle the shakes, you know, this, that. All right. She takes it out. The husband said, I'm leaving it alone. Okay. By the time it's all said and done, she's down. Okay. She's down 19%. He was up 66%. So, and and it's like, just look at the spread there. You know, somebody's down nearly 20%. The other person's up over 60% in the same window of time because one person decided in the same household, one person decided to hang on, the other person decided to sell at the wrong time. And now she's got a lot of ground to make up and her husband made sure to let her know that, uh, which was hilarious. Uh, so, uh, so we've all heard this saying, maybe, well, maybe at least in investments, you know, we hear this a lot, but it's, it's time in the market, not timing the market. Okay. Even the great Warren Buffett said that the best thing you can do is go buy uh, a great fund, throw your money in and leave it alone because you, you, you cannot pick stuff. Even he hasn't really tried to do that with their own company. They kind of, they buy companies and then they don't sell them. They just buy them, right? They bought Dairy Queen years and years ago, NetJets, all kinds of trailer companies, Geico, all owned by Berkshire Hathaway. They're not trying to buy and flip these companies. They just buy them and they keep them, right? You buy, you buy a fund and you keep it. Okay. Until you ride it out till it's not, it's no longer suitable for you. Timing isn't right for you. You know, things like that. Okay. So, so let's look at a hypothetical value of a thousand bucks. All right. We got a thousand bucks. You throw it in the S and P 500 excluding dividends. Okay. From uh, Jan one of 2010 to December 31st, 2019. So let's just call it 10 years. Okay. So we go 10 years here, you throw in 10 grand, you leave it alone. Okay. So when we observe this five year of the worst market decline since 1929, Returns in the first year after each market decline ranged from 36% to 137%. So let me hear that again. Returns in the first year after each market went down. Okay. Every time there was a down, the next year, the average was 36 to 137% and averaged 70.95. So because people go, how did that guy make 66? Well, he's not going to make it every year. There was a dip last year and then he threw his money in and he returned 66%. Okay. Cause he got in for that. That's the 12 months following a down market. Okay. So over a longer term, the average value of an investment more than doubled over the five years 
after each market low. Okay. So let's give you an idea. If somebody had a thousand bucks and they left it in for that 10 years and they were invested the entire period of time, they never sold a share. They never took any money out. They were just in. They had $2,897. If you missed the 10 best days, you lost nearly a thousand dollars. You went from 2,900 to $1,945. You lost 33% of the value because you missed 10 days out of 10 years. We're talking about 360. Um, really, yeah, we're talking about 365. Jeez, oh, Pete's Josh, my brain's going crap. I'm reading too many numbers. Uh, so <laughs> I apologize. 365, we got 10 years of that. Yes, 3,650 days. Okay, so we're talking 3,640. You only missed 10 of those days, okay? And you lost 30, a, th- a third of your returns. If you missed 20, you lost half of the money. I mean, it, it just escalates down, down, down. If you missed the best 40 days out of 3,650 days, if you missed the best 40, your money's less than. You have $923. You, 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 it went down, okay? So it's just unbelievable. And we don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know how it works. We don't know when the next recession is. If anybody says they know for a fact when it's coming, okay, run away. Click, quit clicking on the clickbait, right? The YouTube video, okay? I don't care if you're an advisor, a, you know, uh, a client, a consumer, whatever. When you see next stock market crash imminent, you know, Go, get away, okay, from these people, right? These people have, there is just, just clickbait. They're just trying to get you to listen. It's like CNN. It's like the next outbreak. You know, it's like, I remember last year, and it's like, for me, this is, this like blew the gasket, you know, and I saw in the news, and it was like, and it, they had the death toll ticker just going, just this death toll ticker, like going on the thing, just showing like the numbers rising as people are dying. I thought, you lost all credibility with me. It doesn't matter if what you say is right or wrong or whatever. You, you're just clearly selling fear 100% on sale. Okay. Be very careful. This is how the market works. If the average person was in the whole time, they had a lot more money than the people who weren't. Clients call me all the time. I said, I heard on the news today. I saw on CNBC. I'm like, why are you watching CNBC work at a steel mill? You know, it's like, get off of that stuff. Quit watching the talking heads you know, and pay attention to what the professionals are saying. Those people are journalists, right? They're, they're, they're TV people. They have nothing to do with you. They have nothing to do with your investments, right? I feel like I'm on a little bit of a soapbox today on some of this stuff, but I'm telling you, this is how people lose money. It's like they're always trying to manipulate thinking you can control something that's a lot bigger than you. And I'm just smart enough to know that I'm dumb enough to not be able to win. You know, it's like, I'm smart enough to know that I'm not that smart. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm not going to beat that. So I'm just going to put it in and I'm just going to let it ride. And then when it goes on sale, I'll put more in, right? And that strategy has worked for people year in, year out. That is by far the most successful way to invest for retirement. Okay. And, or anything else that you're investing for. Okay. So move here into kind of my last couple of slides for today or concepts here. So long-term investors have been rewarded. There's no doubt. Okay. Kind of finishing this point on that. 
when you're when you invest long term, you are rewarded the most. Okay, even in including downturns, the S and P five hundreds um, mean return. So the average return over all rolling ten year periods since nineteen thirty seven was ten point four seven percent a year. Okay, that's a ten point four seven percent average return over ten year segments all the way back to the nineteen thirties. Okay. And there's mutual funds out there that have beat that number for decades that are out there that you can get a hold of that have made 12, 13, even 14% in that same period of time. Maybe not all the way back to uh, some actually back all the way to 37. Uh, there are a couple of funds out there that have beat the S&P since then. So when we talk about asset allocation, we're talking about what do you pick? Do I need the value? Do I need the large growth? The 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 do I need the aggressive, Josh? What am I looking at here? Right? Tell me. You know, I have all these things: this aggressive growth, the growth, the growth in income, balanced bonds. You know, what should I be looking at? Well, that's why you got to visit my website. That's why you got to go to joshuamock.com. That's why you got to hit that gold meet with me button and set up a time to talk with me so that we can do a phone consultation. Doesn't. Uh, require me to meet with you doesn't require you to do business with me. It's just a chance for us to talk, uh, get to know each other a little bit and see if your scenario is something that I feel like we can strategically put you in a better place for you and your family and your long-term goals. So I uh, really appreciate everybody being on today. Uh, what a fun kind of concept. I do want to just open up. We don't usually have people that, uh, you know, ask questions on clubhouse where of course recording a lot of people listen to this after the fact. Uh, but I'm also on clubhouse. And if somebody does have a question or something that you want to ask about asset allocation, be happy to, uh, bring you up. Uh, I also have, uh, two friends listening. I can tell who are, uh, advisors. Uh, so if either of them have something that you'd like to kick in, as a concept or anything, I'd love to hear from you as well. Um, if you guys are not just in a listening mode and have the, the opportunity to maybe kick in and say something. Um, but does anybody have any questions? Uh, let's see. Um, Mike, you got something to say. Let's see. I'm going to bring him up here. Good morning, Mike. How you doing? Well, let's, let's see if he's there. He's there. Mike, can you hear me? Okay. You're on stage. I don't know what's going on. No. There we go. There you are. All right. You got me now? Yep, yep. All right, perfect, man. So, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> so, um, what, what would – I knew somebody would get it. Um, what would be some of your suggestions for uh, – a lot of this is long-term – investors on like maybe a 24 month window. Okay. So you're driving to cut out a little bit there, but a lot of this is long-term. What would be the suggestion for more of a short-term window? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So maybe like a 24 to 36 month window. Right. So, I mean, that's really going to depend on uh, risk tolerance in that window of time and then how much of that money somebody would, would need. Right. So, um, if, you know, if they threw in 10 grand, do they need all 10 grand out in 24 months or, you know, we're throwing in 10 grand and we might need 3000 of it, you know? So part, part of it is going to come down to back to the, what, what I kind of started the show with time horizon risk, 
um, investment choices, diversification, and rebalancing, but really those first two core ones, time horizon and the risk that they're willing to take. So, you know, it's like, hey, we got two years. If you, you know, are you, would you like this to be 10 grand to become 12 grand? And they're like, yeah, we would love that. I'm like, are you also okay with if it's seven at the end of this? You know, and, and I, I prefer to ask people like kind of the, the low side because I'm like, everybody wants it to be 12 grand. Everybody wants it to double. We all want to grow, but how much downside are you willing to accept if we invest this and things go sideways in the period of time, the time horizon in which you're wanting to get a hold of this money? So, and that's going to move us up and down the scale from, Mike, that aggressive growth down, we'd never be an aggressive growth for that kind of time horizon, but we're going to, that's going to move us within that scale based on really what can they stomach um, and how much money, you know, are they, are they really looking to, in a worst case scenario, potentially have in that? Um, and is it going to, is it going to hurt their situation or not? You know? So uh, I don't know if that kind of helps, but it's, uh, yes, sir. thank you. Yeah. Thanks. It's uh, it really depends upon like, it's just, what can you handle, you know, and, and do you need it all? You know, I, I do tell people, they're like, oh, I need it all. I find 10 grand. I need all of it in 18 months. I'm like, we'll leave it at the bank. You know, I mean, in that such a short period of time, the market could flip upside down. We could, we could see, a, you know, some could happen. You're down two, 3000 bucks, 20, 30%. You're like, I can't believe this is happening to me. We needed that extra money. That's just an unsuitable trade. And uh, shouldn't be invested, you know, should just sit in the bank and leave it alone. Um, and it, because the time horizon is so short, uh, if somebody says, I want to throw it in in two years, we may need 3000 of the 10,000. Okay, not now, now we're okay. Now we're talking, you know, they're not taking out a substantial part. If it was down to seven, they're like, yeah, if we needed the three, there'd still be enough, you know, that kind of thing. They're, they're usually because of time horizon willing to take on more risk. So uh, but it, that, and that varies, that varies for everybody. So, um, Rockford, good morning. Welcome to the financial confidence podcast, buddy. Hey, good morning. How you doing, Josh? Good, man. Hey, yeah. A perfect question there. Um, uh, Mike and, and to add to that, you know, I had a, a client in that uh, particular situation, um, that had a chunk of money, you know, had, uh, uh, a little bit under 200,000. They say, Hey, you know, we want to put this somewhere and we don't want to sit in the bank. We want it to grow a little bit, but we might need it in the next two to three years. You know, uh, what do we do with it? And so that's where we have one of those discussions about allocation. And so we put 80% toward bonds. We put 20% to stocks because we figured, you know, if there was a, a 10% fluctuation, that would be, you know, acceptable, but more than that, they wouldn't feel comfortable with it. Right. And so uh, set them up, made some money this this year, and I got a call this past week. Hey, you know what? We're actually going to need that uh, next summer. You know what? Well, a year from now, what we're we going to do? So then we went through and dialed down the exposure just even a little bit more to make that uh, make that a bit uh, a, a bit safer. So um, yeah, I mean those are, are great. You know, real life, uh, real world examples. That's um, good. And the oh, time yeah. horizon, the time horizon was known and then it changed yep. and that kind of changed yep. the risk setup, right? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I also have another client, a number of clients that I've got because they were unhappy with their advisor because, you know, they, the advisor didn't listen to them on the, um, you know, their comfort when it, in regards to volatility. 
And, and that's something I, I kind of explain to a client what risk is, but I also talk in terms of volatility, right? Because they, you know, risk, they think about losing it all. And, you know, if a meteor hits the planet, yeah, we could all, <laughs> we're going to lose, lose all that, right? But, um, but volatility is, you know, the ups and downs. And that's what people kind of think of and what makes them concerned. So, you know, if they're sitting with a pot of money, I say, okay, you got $200,000. Uh, let's say you lost 20000 because percentages, most people don't do percentages in their head that well, right? If I say, oh, you lost 10%, you're like, oh, okay. Well, so I'll use dollar, dollar amounts because now I'm going to get into their real gut reaction a lot easier, right? And they're like, what, what if you lost $20,000? They might go, oof, oh, I don't know. I don't think I would like that. Well, that's only 10%, right? So that person, that tells me that person doesn't want to take a whole lot of risk, right? And so a lot of advisors do not really listen that well to the client. They put them in stuff that's not a, you know, appropriate for their risk tolerance. That p person pulls the trigger on selling it when it's at a down period, right? Uh, and then they lock in their, their losses, like that example. So I would rather someone be an account that, that underperforms in an up period uh, but then they don't capture as much of the down uh, period, so that way they don't get they don't get skittish and cement those those losses in there. Yeah. Um, and last last spring, I had some clients call you know that were uh, in investments they should be in, but because of the news and all that, uh, you know they got they got nervous. And I said, hey, just be careful who's in your ear. You're right. Be careful who's speaking to you. Be careful what you're listening to. There's a lot of what you mentioned before, there's a lot of misinformation and, and untruth on everything, obviously, these days. Um, and as I look in the whole state of Indiana, there's probably only two or three other people that I really talk about financial concepts with whose opinions I value. Right. And uh, one of them's leading the call here. So uh, <laughs> you just be very careful about who you take your financial advice from. And I was able to talk them off a, off a ledge. But um, no, these are all great points that we're, we're bringing up this morning. That's great. Well, I appreciate uh, the input, Rockford. I, uh, it's funny because that the wife said to me yesterday um, that when it happened, she was like, I don't know. I just, there was so much political stuff. And then it was like COVID was going on and I was watching the news and I was just like Trump and this and that. So I had people sell because they thought that the stock market is going to collapse because of Trump. I had people sell in January because they thought the stock market was going to collapse because of Biden. Well, guess sure. what? Neither happened and everybody who did that lost money, right? And, Absolutely. And that's because they're listening to the wrong people. Like I said, watch those talking heads, journalists not paying attention to who actually has a fiduciary responsibility and or, you know, is is, is in charge of their actual dollars, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, well, I appreciate you being here. Well, I thank everybody for coming on this morning. Next week, we're going to be talking investment building blocks uh, and kind of getting into what exactly that means. So we'll uh, see everybody next Wednesday. Same time as always. Appreciate everybody for being on here. If you want to reach out to me, visit my website, joshuamock.com and or call our office right there on the call now button or set up a time to meet with me to do your own financial game plan as well. Take care. Thanks so much.